Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong for an episode I'm super excited about, not the least of which is because I get to talk to my co-host, Jacqueline Coley. Jacqueline, this is going to be hotly anticipated, not only because of the movie we're talking about, but because of the movie that we're talking about it because we're talking about it. Does that make sense? Uh, not at all. <laughs> we're getting there. I, I saw Guns N' Roses last night, so, so I'm, yeah. I'm slowly recovering. But I will say this, there's a new movie coming out in the MCU, and that one has some connective tissue to the movie we're talking about today, and that would be Iron Man 3. Yes. Shang-Chi comes out on September 3rd, and there is a connection to this film. We're not going to give away any spoilers for the new movie, but we are going to talk in depth about Iron Man 3, a movie that was very polarizing when it came out, Jacqueline, and I'm pretty sure it still is. Yeah, I think it I think it is. But as polarizing as it was, it was definitely one of those polarizing ones among fans. People were definitely deep in the MCU at this point And like they had expectations. And this was, I think, the first one where like legitimately they were upset when those expectations weren't met. I don't know. Was this before or after Dark World? This came out in 2013. So, yeah, so for uh, those two right together. Yeah. The sequencing of the MCU. That's probably why we have special guests like who we have today. I will say this. Iron Man 3 is currently 79% certified fresh on the tomato meter, and it's 78% fresh on the audience score. So seems like it's a pretty universally well-liked movie. Is it, though? That's why we have... Our very special guest today. He is a tech and geek culture host, content creator, covering the space for over 15 years. You can check out his channel on YouTube. It's just Brian Tong is his name. YouTube.com is the channel slash Brian Tong. And he is Brian Tong, who we got to meet for the very first time seeing Shang-Chi all together. Brian, how are you? It is good to see you again. Now, my friend. Yes, my friend in person (laughs) in the living flesh. So no, we this- were all on the uh, the the somewhat red carpet for Shang-Chi at the premiere because <laughs> I, sometimes they make a mistake and invite me to these things. But yep. you sort of recognized Jacqueline or Jacqueline came up to you ha- because I was the last one to this party. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell my side of the story because I think it's probably more interesting. So, I, you know, we're walking around. The, hey, look, the fun thing about this Shang-Chi red carpet was I would say compared to most red carpets, they weren't as locked down as they yeah. were. Like you, you could really free flow around the main strip. And so... Guess what? We free flowed along the main red carpet and uh, I'm just kind of walking around. All of a sudden someone pulls me and says, hi. And look, I've never met either you or Jacqueline, you know, Mark or Jacqueline ever before. And she says hi to me and she has these sunglasses and she's talking to me like, oh, hey, what's up? Right. And I, you know, it's the thing you do where you pause. But to my credit, 
I it hit and I'm like, Jacqueline. <laughs> and it was really cool to kind of like see you guys in person, you know, finally get get the energy of what we're like in real life and also figure out how tall we are compared to each other. <laughs> I am deceptively short in these videos. And I've you're not the only person that said that. Like like somebody else was like, because they've only known me in like the pandemic times. Like they saw me that night. They're like, I forgot. You're like taller. And I'm like, yep. yeah, it's a thing. You might be deceptively taller, no, shorter in videos. I'm deceptively taller in videos. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, how many people, more people see me on the video (laughs) than they do. I'm the exact height that you You think I am. That is true. That is true. You are. I'm 5'10", 5'10 and a half on a good day. My NBA (laughs) height would be six foot one, but Mm -hmm. that's... Who we are, and we got to meet. And it was great meeting you, Brian, because we talked about the last episode that you were on, Mortal Kombat, and it was so much fun to revisit that. But now we're talking about Iron Man 3, and we're looking back on it. I can't believe it's eight years later since yeah. that movie came out. So I ask you first, Brian, simply put, is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong with their 79% tomato meter certified fresh rating of Iron Man 3? I'm going to say Yes. I'm going to lean into, yes, knowing that it was a polarizing movie, but uh, from the Rotten Tomatoes community that, you know, the aggregate, I'm going to I'm going to lean. Yes, I'm going to lean. Yes. So Rotten, you think tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Oh, I meant they're right. Oh. You're saying, <laughs> you did mean <laughs> My bad, right. yes. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. So, look, we're going to have some confusion here, even with the Mandarin. But yes, Rotten Tomatoes to me was actually, although we are saying Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, I'm going to say that score given was the proper score. Was right. Mm, okay. okay. Very good. I know. Good. I, so, we, we have to disagree at something along these, you know, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, I yeah, think yeah. we'll find some disagreements talking about this movie. Before we get into all of that, we have a lot of movie talk. We have a lot of behind the scenes. But first, we go to Jacqueline Coley, who's going to give us a succinct synopsis of <laughs> Iron Man 3. Really? Don't do that, because this movie has a lot. (laughs) But okay, this is Iron Man 3. This is the third installment of Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr. in the Iron Man suit. As we sort of open, you know, Tony is still being Iron Man, still trying to save the day, but he's got a few big questions. Mostly his girlfriend, Pepper Potts, is trying to get him to figure out exactly what he wants to do going forward. He's got a piece of shrapnel in his heart that he needs to get rid of if he's going to continue to live on as the Iron Man and wondering if he can do that. Also, there's a new president out there who's maybe not the biggest fan of this whole superhero thing, but Iron Man gets called out pretty early on in the beginning of this by this nefarious terrorist organization called the Mandarin, who have been doing experiments on folks, including one that negatively affects his boy, Happy. And that sends our Iron Man, Tony Stark, into a fury. He is not happy about the fact that Happy is being injured. Yeah, you like that? And so he goes on his revenge (laughs) war page. He tracks down the Mandarin, sneaks in with like old school uh, devices, And it turns out that the Mandarin is not the Mandarin. The Mandarin is an actor uh, called Trevor Slattery, played by Ben Kingsley. Uh, Also, it turns out that somebody from Tony's past, back when he was really the Playboy part of uh, Playboy billionaire, philanthropist genius, that Playboy part is when he met uh, Killian. uh, Killian? Is it Killian? Yep, Killian Aldridge. Killian Aldridge. Okay, Killian Aldridge, played by Guy Pearce. Um, wanted to do some 
research technology along with Rebecca Hall. And they were basically trying to figure out a way to regenerate human tissue. Turns out after Tony fired him and shut down his research, he continued to research it on his own. And well, you know what happens when crazy evil people research, they the experiments go wrong. And so he wants to enlist Tony's help to try and fix this Regeneron stuff that he's done that's gone all kinds of haywire. And in the big grand finale climax, he actually submits Pepper to the very same treatment that has made Killian all kinds of crazy and messed up. Turns out with Pepper, it worked. She now has like weird superhero powers after we think for like two seconds she died, but she actually comes back, saves the day, fights Tony. They are able to destroy Killian. Unfortunately, Rebecca Hall, who's like the genius behind his nefarious deeds, he kills her. And uh, all the people who were negatively affected end up being saved. Tony takes the shrapnel out of his heart, throws away his, you know, circular spear thing. I don't even know what you call it, like his heart core activator, sort of signifying that no matter what happens, he will always be Iron Man. And that was kind of like the last thing that happens before we go into Captain American Civil War. But this sort of sets up the beginning of Tony not being able to deal with the fact that, you know, aliens and weird stuff is probably going to come and invade the sky. And you did a great job, Jacqueline. And you also hit on something within that synopsis that I love about this movie and that I really don't like about this movie. Sometimes, kids, there can even be one scene or just one line that really changes the complexion of the film for you. That was the case for me with Iron Man 3. But again, I'm not the most important part of this show. It's our special guest, Brian Tonk. So, Brian, <laughs> I want to get into it just a little bit. You said Rotten Tomatoes is right here. Why is Rotten Tomatoes right about Iron Man 3? Okay, so you, so Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 79, right? So when I look 79%. at this, 79%. When I look at the scope of movies in the MCU that have released, I'm going to say it, it kind of sits in there even with the twist of Trevor Slattery being an actor playing the Mandarin that turned off a lot of the comic book community. Now, if you if I asked my friends who did not care about comics, I remember this, this was a heated debate at the time. They thought it was funny. They they thought it was Kind of a fun little twist. If you were someone who at the time with Thanos looming and the Mandarin who has his own 10 rings, which represent different elements of power, potentially being on the table as well, knowing the history and lore of the Mandarin, knowing that even in advertisements, they were kind of pitching this movie as kind of like the, you know, Bin Laden type terrorist fear. And everyone's like, oh, damn, the Mandarin looks sick. If you're expecting that, you're going to be completely let down. But if let's say we strip away the comic book nerd expectations that I had, I, I still think it falls falls right in that range. Um, the action was fun. I really appreciated the fact that they, you know, Tony Stark has been this playboy cocky guy the entire first two movies. This third movie, he is deeply affected by the PTSD that happens from New York. So you see a man who's no longer the guy we used to know, but you get a lot more texture and character in here. And let's also be honest, if Robert Downey Jr. is not the lead of this movie, this movie is definitely going to score a lot, lot lower. So that's why I think I, I'm, I'm aligned with the 79 score from Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Shane Black directing this one. And Jacqueline, your turn. Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong with that 79% certified fresh rating? I'm, I'm going to lean... Okay, I hate this. Like, I got her thinking. I got her thinking now. It's right-ish. Like, like in truth, like I think that it's a good movie. It has a ton of action and a lot, but it's got plot holes the size of Texas that I just really can't 
reconcile my brain around. And that third act is a bit of a mess. Mm. And I'm just not a big Shane Black um, action fan. I'm a good, I like Shane Black when he's doing like kiss, kiss, bang, bang, you know, type stuff. Like I like that, but like, I just don't know if I'm as in love with his action efforts as other people. Does that make sense? Like I like him, nice guy, Shane Black, that, that version of, of how he makes movies. I'm, I'm a little bit more about, but Predator, yeah. things like this, I don't know about it. So it's right, but I could see it go a little lower, but definitely not going out of fresh territory. Like, I think it's weird that it's certified fresh and Thor The Dark World is just barely fresh. And I think it should be more in that, like, high 60s, uh, low 70s. But that's yeah. a quibble. And so, you know. No, I'm with you, though, but my, my I'm a little bit firmer in that I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong here. I think that that score is too high for this movie just because you can look at, at Iron Man 3 if it was a standalone movie. And like Brian said, we didn't have any expectations going into it as to who the villain was going to be, as to how our hero was going to react. Then, yeah, fine. It's a it, it's a good movie. But it also is in the MCU. And it's also Iron Man 3 for a reason, because we had a bunch of MCU movies before. We had a bunch after it. And I just do not feel like Iron Man 3, the entire film, holds up to the standard that the MCU has set, particularly the standard that Iron Man has set. And so I think that Iron Man 3 and 2 are around the same for me. But I think that Iron Man 3 belongs in like the low 60s. I can give it fresh. But I think it belongs in the low 60s. Before we get to two minutes with Tim, I do want to bring in Producey Lucy real quick. Producey Lucy, you got a chance to revisit Iron Man 3 with your family. The family take at Producey Lucy's household. Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong? Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I. Because you <laughs> there love are it? things or I like about. Because I don't like it. Ooh, mm. I feel bad. I'm sorry. So ultimately, I try, I put it on last night. I saw it in theaters when it first came out, which I can't believe it's been that long. Yikes. I kept thinking we about so that young. all night long. That was right around the time that some yeah. guy was ruining the chance of him ever hosting a Jeopardy. <laughs> no. <laughs> so fired. I tried, fired. <laughs> I tried to watch. Francis, hold on. Francis, stop. My kid's about to break the fridge. How Fr does she feel Fr about Fr leave it open. Iron Man Sorry. <laughs> One second, baby. It's okay. So I tried to like finish. <laughs> That's literally the noise I make when I was escorted this is what out happened. Of the Shang-Chi after we, party. We were just crying and crying and crying last night. No, um, I tried to watch it um, and just kept finding myself being like, I'm going to turn this off. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to turn this off. This is boring. This is boring. I did keep watching it, though. But overall, I just it didn't it didn't capture me the way Iron Man one did that's, that's gonna be hard fair. to match yeah it is it, it's a very high bar that they set right out of the mm. gate with the very first iron man so that's that's why we love producey lucy she has kids so i don't have to uh now we go <laughs> to the celebrated segment that is what the critics were saying at the time of iron man 3's release way back in the dark ages of 2013 our segment is two minutes with tim ryan our expert review curation manager rotten tomatoes tim Please. Two minutes with Tim. Let's break down the three Iron Man movies by the numbers. Iron Man is certified fresh at 94% on the tomato meter with a 91% audience score. Iron Man 2 is certified fresh at 72% on the tomato meter with a 71% audience score. 
And Iron Man 3, the subject of today's podcast, is certified fresh at 79% on the tomato meter with 328 reviews and a 78% audience score. And based on my own observations, just about everyone I've ever talked to says Iron Man 3 is not as good as the first one and better than the second one. So it seems safe to say that as a mini franchise within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, when it comes to both audiences and critics, the Iron Man movies are properly rated. But what did the critics have to say about Iron Man 3? In a fresh review, Bill Gutekunst of the Arizona Republic wrote, Downey is as funny as ever, if not more so. He ensures that Iron Man 3 is a solid installment in the franchise and helps to make it seem, at least for a time, that it might be something more. However, in a rotten review, A.A. Dowd of the A.V. Club wrote, It's hard not to wish Downey were sparring with his costume comrades again, instead of trading barbs with the far less colorful cast members, old and new, of this busy, sporadically diverting sequel. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, With the help of its charismatic lead, some impressive action sequences, and even a few surprises, Iron Man 3 is a witty, entertaining adventure and a strong addition to the Marvel canon. So that's Iron Man 3. And just remember, you can take away their houses, all their tricks and toys, but one thing you can't take away, they are Mark and Jacqueline. Back to you folks. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you, Tim. That means live. a lot. Um, I, I am defined by my toys and my tricks, however. So let's get right into it. I, I cannot wait to talk about this movie with you too. Let's get to movie talk of Iron Man 3. Let's kick off with that, Brian and Jacqueline. The the rating that y'all have as far as where Iron Man 3 works in Iron Man canon. So we won't do the greater MCU for right now. I just want to hear, Brian, first, your take on Iron Man 3. Is it between Iron Man and Iron Man 2, like a lot of folks, according to Tim, says it is? Or does it hold a different spot for you? 100% agree with that. I mean, Iron Man 1 is the peak. Iron Man 2 is like... Really, guys? I hope you redeem yourselves in three. And Iron Man three was like, "Oh, you kind of did." So I think I think that's right on the money. You kind of did. How about you, Jacqueline? Man, I don't even remember what we said on the Iron Man episode. Like that's why I'm like worried. Like you can the be Iron a Man two. Like I don't remember what we said. Look, there's a lot of movies. We do a lot of movies. So like I would. I'm like I think. Is it one, two, three? I don't know. Like this is the deal with two and three, in my personal opinion. Depending on the day, mm. I might enjoy one more than the other because like two, I remember I had more fun with it than I remember, yep. but I can't like put it in context with this one because both of them are sort of like imperfect little misfit toys that I will enjoy playing with now and again. So I would say today I will put Iron Man two. Yeah, I guess I'll put it lower. I, I, I'll put <laughs> Iron Man two lower, but you could definitely uh, put me on a moment where I would go reverse. And let's be honest, um, lower by like what? It's like the Olympic medal stand. It's like well, you all medal. It's just barely yeah. lower, but <laughs> yeah. at least Iron Man three for me does get a bronze medal because after revisiting Iron Man two for the show that we did, I feel like Iron Man two is just a better movie than Iron Man three. Now the first half of Iron Man three. Might be the best Iron Man movie I've ever seen. But yes. again, mm. you, you going mm. back to mm. Jacqueline's call. Olympics reference, you got to stick the landing. <laughs> and I think that there's multiple facets where this movie just completely falls apart. Uh, Brian, you said you agree with Rotten Tomatoes that it's 79%. So there's got to be stuff in here that you really liked. What's a scene or a moment for you that you point to and you say, yeah, that's why Iron Man 3 is definitely a fresh flick? 
Well, what surprised me is when I went to watch this movie again for this podcast, it was better than I remember. I actually ranked it lower than two um, initially, right? I had, or sorry, I had one, two, and three in that order of the Iron Man films, but after watching three, and it's not a recency bias, I said, okay, three levels up a little bit. I thought the action in two and Whiplash was better, and the ending scene with him and War Machine in two was kind of just like a nice, clean way to like, you know, have that finish up, but here, you know, you got a little bit, a lot of like when when they start throwing thirty Iron Man suits, you're kind of like, oh, here we go again, right? Like it's mm. like, eh. but I did think the the PTSD and the relationship with the with Harley, with um with the, what's the actor's name is Ty, what's his last name? I can't remember, but that yes, yeah, that Ty Simpkins, thank you. That that there's heart there, and I'm I'm kind of like that character development guy when it comes to these superhero movies. I like to see that stuff, so uh, that's why it's still kind of bumped up for me. Yeah, the uh, the relationship that, that Tony develops with this kid in the dead of winter in Tennessee, I think, is one of the highlights <laughs> of this movie, Jacqueline. But you, I've heard this criticism a lot is that Iron Man 3 is a great Shane Black movie, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a great MCU movie, if that makes any sense. Who says? So, <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Mark says. That is, I, no, that is people who have not seen the nice guys or I have my bags. Bang, I have bang. my ears to this. No, pe- people who like the nice guys and, and who like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang are like, yeah, that, this Iron Man 3 is great for that, but fitting into the MCU, not as much. And this was right around the time that there were starting to be rumblings like, well, yeah, I mean, we all love Marvel, but they just don't have as good of a villain as DC Comics movies. And so we saw the Mandarin ads. We're like, oh, this is the guy. This is the thing that is going to sort of turn that on its ear. And it didn't really work out that way. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. But give it up for Kingsley. Like, I will give it up for Ben Kingsley giving, okay. like, Trevor just absolutely hilarious. They did, like, um, extended little features with him talking mm-hmm. about, like, like, like these little, like, extra videos. The, the Iron Man 3 Blu-ray has a lot of, like, extra stuff in it. I think that's Shane Black leaning into his, like, I remember VHS commentary days. And so there's, like, a lot of stuff like that extra where they were like, look, I got Ben Kingsley. And he basically is a glorified cameo. We're going to have fun with it. Right. Um, so I actually enjoyed that. 
Oh, I, I don't hate Ben Kingsley's performance for what he was given at all. I, I think if there's anybody that could have pulled it off, it probably is Sir Ben Kingsley. But you do have that twist that is getting into Act 3 where we find out that this big, bad Mandarin is actually just a hired actor from more nefarious purposes from somebody else. And he's not a terrorist at all. He's just this out-of-work drunk actor. And Ben Kingsley does do as great of a job with that. And that's not even the thing that bothers me the most about this movie. The thing in act three that really bugs me, that really gets this below Iron Man two for me is that again, I said it, sometimes it's just a scene. Sometimes it's just a moment. There's a moment where we think that Pepper Potts dies, where she falls and we think that she's gone. We think that she literally died. I got you. Relax. I got you. Ah! Just look at me. Ah! Ah! I mean, I can't reach any further and you can't stay there, right? You gotta let go. Gotta let go. I'll catch you. I promise. And like half a second later, Tony Stark, he's in a fight as Iron Man and he's just back to making quips and one liners. And I just do not buy that for that character at all, that he's going to be just doing his normal thing when he just found out the on again, off again, the love of his life is falling dead on the platform below him. I, did either one of y'all pick that up or was that just like me being too sensitive? Mark, did you really believe that Pepper yeah. Potts was yes. dead? Yes, I no, did. I didn't. I didn't at yeah. all. And that's why all these emotions that you're telling me, yep. I didn't feel them all. I'm like, she's still alive. She got, <laughs> she's got the extremists in her. She's that's not the dead. Plot, that's the plot hole part that I'm talking about. Like none of the emotional, yeah. none of the emotional motivations really hold true. Like, the idea that that Iron Man is going to go on some like John Wick revenge for Happy is really weird, too. Like, I get he's like sad about Happy, but like people die all the time as collateral damage around this dude. And like all of a sudden Happy gets hurt and it's like, where is she? Like, I mean, it's, it's just weird. It's weird. You should be used to it by now. You know, and so I, I don't know. To your point, you're right. It doesn't fit with the character in a certain respect. Um but that's what's great about Civil War, um, because when we get to Civil War and the like, you killed my mom scene, like was like uh, that. That was a different version of how that could have played out um, that the Russos did in that moment. Does that make sense? It it, it does. But Brian, I don't know about you. It, when I saw uh, Captain America: Civil War, I thought Tony should have been able to hold it together more than he did. When no, he- <laughs> weak. So- Dude, he it's made his a, mom. It's his he mom. He made a six million dollar video. It was twenty five years ago. Aged and back. No, mm-mm, that's yo. Mom. If you find that out about your mom, it doesn't matter if it was twenty five years ago. It doesn't yeah, matter. It really doesn't. Uh, my Even mom listens every like episode that. of this too. Mom, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do not be friends with anybody named Bucky who has a weird arm. Don't say the words around him. Um, hey, I'll I'll make your mom feel any better. I'm not sure I'd go on a revenge story. <laughs> <laughs> For my mother, not nothing, nothing against her as a person, but there's right. just not a lot. Maybe my dog. If you came after my dog, I would go John Wick. But that is literally the only creature on this earth that I have that much pure love for. And yeah. he and he licks my face. So. I'm, I'm with you right there. I'm looking at Molly the Wonder Dog and I would murder for her. So but people I'm like, we, we all know what's good. Like, we know how this book is going to end. It just depends on which chapter. Especially in this this universe. And and that is one of the things that I really loved about the first half of Iron Man 3 is that it is setting up Tony Stark as the same, like, you know, fast-talking guy that we love from 1 and 2, but it also is moving his character development Mm -hmm. forward 
with the PTSD angle where he says, you know, nothing's been the same since New York. And it's like him and, and Rhodey are at Hooters, I think. And, but, but they're having this like really like deep, intimate conversation about those events. And I really responded to that. I thought that was so well done and necessary because you can have 25 fun comic book movies, but you don't really have a lot of connective tissue or get to care about the characters as much if we don't have stuff like that. And so I think that was a very necessary thing for Iron Man 3. Brian, is, is there one thing in this movie that you said, well, yeah, maybe that is why it's not as good as the first Iron Man? Mm, the Well, again, critics, depending on where they leaned on how much they love Marvel movies, it had to be Trevor Slattery's role in the movie. Right. I think that's going to tip, however you feel about that specific plot point, that's going to tip your scale of whether you choose this to be rotten or fresh. In in my opinion, with all the plot holes, with all the little things that we may have liked a lot or didn't like at all, that's really the tipping point of how you kind of evaluate this movie. And, you know, we're not going to talk about any other spoilers, but I think when you look at the entire MCU now, maybe the, Trevor Slattery's role is looked at differently today from Iron Man 3 than it was, you know, a few weeks ago. Like I How think, did you feel, I think that, that that context changes it. In when you're when y'all are watching it in the theater for the very first time, and that that twist happens. Like we said again, we're being set up the whole movie that the Mandarin is going to be maybe the biggest evil that we've ever seen in the MCU. Tony Stark talks direct trash to him via the news and gives him his home address, and then the whole thing gets blown up. Did you like it at the time? You're sitting in the theater. Start with you, Jacqueline. Did you like it at the time? And then were you walking out of the theater and you're like, wait, 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 that's what we got? Or was it weeks later? Was it years later? I actually think that I have never seen this in the theater. The first time I saw really? this was like during an MCU rewatch, like <laughs> gearing up for maybe, I think gearing up maybe for Civil like War. Civil War. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't gearing up for Infinity, but I like wanted to make sure I'd seen everything leading up to Civil War or maybe Winter Soldier, somewhere in there. And so I watched everything, and that was actually the first time I saw Iron Man 3. Again, the 2013, I don't know what I was doing, but I just was not, I was not as into going to movie theaters at the theaters I am now. And the movies I was seeing was not these type of movies. I think that was like deep in my like, I'm going to the library a lot phase. Yeah. I just it, it, I hear 2013 and sometimes it feels like Jack and I've been doing this for 100 years because we just we know how to do the thing by now. And so I just assume that we saw every movie together in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I don't remember what I was doing, but I definitely didn't see this one in the theater. I, I need to go look and see what else was out like that year, because I know I saw I know I saw Civil War in the theater. I know I saw that in the theater, but I did not see Iron Man. So, Brian, how about you? You're 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 in the theater, I assume, watching Iron Man three mm -hmm. and the Mandarin twist happens. Are you like, yeah, this is perfect. This is hilarious. Or are you like, what are we doing here? I, I was I was like, damn, that just spoiled the whole movie for me mm. when, I, when I saw it because it was it was also really kooky. I mean, he's in the bed with these two ladies. <laughs> Iron Man pulls the sheet off and he's like, huh? don't move. I'm not moving. You want something? Take it. Although the guns are all fake because those wankers wouldn't trust me with the real ones. What? Hey, do you fancy either of the birds? Heard enough. You're not him, the Mandarin, the real guy. Where? Where's the Mandarin? Oh, Where is he? Whoa, 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 he's here. He's here, but he's not here. He's here, but he's not here. He's, what do you mean? Uh, it's complicated. Hey, it's complicated, it right? Is. It's complicated. And then you're like, okay, like you're mm -hmm. not really sure. And all of a sudden you realize, this has been not only a ruse, but a really kind of campy one. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of almost takes you 
out of the MCU because we had never seen anything like this in the MCU before along these this lines of like flipping the script, kind of tr- not only tricking us, but really just kind of not being rewarded for all this anticipation that you've been waiting yeah. for. And then you layer on the comic book geek fan that I am. That was like another gut. So I remember leaving the theater being like, damn, that was really crappy. Like I didn't, I looked past, looked, uh, Brian Tong in 2013 didn't care about character development as much as he cared about a badass movie, right? And so yeah. that that kind of that really, you know, I was I this is a movie that I think I've maybe only seen one more time outside of the theater before I watched it, and that's kind of when you when there's an MCU movie that you've really only seen one more time, it's probably not going to be at the top of your list, and so it, it left a bad taste in my mouth for a while. Um, but then watching it recently. I, I felt better about it. Yeah, there, there, there's been certain developments in the MCU of late that I think make me feel a lot better about that whole twist with the Mandarin, with Ben Kingsley's character. But at the time, I was like, this, it, it felt cheap to me and it and it mm-hmm. felt like borderline insulting to me as an audience member that, again, a lot of this is marketing too because we'd been inundated for months and months with trailers and promo material saying, Look out for the Mandarin. This is the 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 scariest enemy we've ever seen. Here he comes. And then it just turns out to be something else. We did get a baddie in the film, and that would be Guy Pierce's Killian. Did either one of y'all respond to Killian as an MCU villain? I just knew that he was evil. Like Guy Pierce shows up, he's either weird or evil. <laughs> Very good looking though. Like, I mean, like it's sort of like the dude that we saw from the holiday, the guy that played Jasper. Anytime that dude like shows up, I'm like Rufus Sewell. Yeah, Rufus, you are not going to be a good dude. So I knew Guy <laughs> Pierce was like, yeah. And the fact that he's doing his best Enigma uh, uh, from the Edward Riddler. Nygma. Yeah, yeah, Edward Nigma from Batman and Robin, like fangirl <laughs> turned fight. Like they literally gave him the same turn. This is like Batman forever turn that they gave him. Like, I love you so much. And then, you know, I'm going to come back all cool. You know, that that <laughs> with the he slick back good, hair, though. with the slick back hair and Rebecca Hall on my shoulder. So, yeah, I knew he was going to be evil. Also, I don't I, I that was spoiled before I saw it. So when I saw Iron Man three, I knew Ben right. Kingsley so it was already spoiled. So I don't know how I would have reacted, but um, I'm never going to be sad to see Ben Kingsley um, <laughs> pop up in a movie. Uh, Brian, favorite, least favorite characters from Iron Man 3? New ones, ones we've established and you just didn't like the way the arc went? Mm. Well, I mean, in the moment, least favorite character easily had to be Trevor Slattery. You know, mm. in the moment, sure. right? Um, favorite character is going to be, I mean, it's going to be Tony Stark. I would almost lean towards Harley a little bit as kind of my second favorite character of the movie. Um, the young boy, the dynamic with him, it was awesome. But again, like I said at the very top of this, if if this is not a movie led by Robert Downey Jr., I mean, this is might be a sub-60 movie, quite honestly. I mean, but this is, I've seen, I don't know, man. I watched Thor The Dark World. I'd watch that over this. Thor The Dark oh, really? World. Yeah. yeah. Thor The Dark World, you get, again. you get Eric Selvig walking around half naked. <laughs> You get Loki, you get Loki like going through his emo fantasy because his mom died. Like legit, there is some stuff in Thor The Dark World. I'm sorry, I'm about it. Um, They do portals and, you know, I'm about it. That's about it, but whatever. The portals are cool. Jacqueline, you you did hit on something at the top that I wanted to bring up during this section is that there's some plot holes in this movie. There's some things that don't really make sense that we, we don't really 
piece the puzzle together all that well. One of which is being, and I've seen this in a lot of articles, that Iron Man is spending most of the movie trying to repair slash like power up his suit. But then at the end, it appears he has a remote controlled armada at his disposal that is nothing but <laughs> Iron Man suits. How does how does that work? Am I missing something, Jacqueline or Brian, or is that the movie's fault? That's the movie's fault. I don't okay. know if this was the t- I don't know if this was the plot. Does anybody feel like this movie got changed in like rewrites or like? I mean, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. From the first half to the second half, like I said, the first half is is one of my favorite Iron Man movies, but the second half just feels weird. Also, like the the I went back and watched the trailer. The trailers, to your point, just set us up for this really dark third act. We knew that mm-hmm. we were still going to get Robert Downey Jr. I think at that point, but like it, it very much seemed like you know not not all of the cast of characters may make it out of this, and <laughs> and then it ends up just being the same schmaltz. Also, um, thank shout out to Mark Hoffmeyer about this. Um, I did not know that they tried to shoehorn this as a Christmas movie. Did y'all know about this? Wait, well, as a Christmas movie? Yeah. I mean. There's Christmas elements in like Shane Black loves making Christmas era movies. And so I, I think that's like the debate about it. I, I don't consider it a Christmas movie. Do y'all? It, it could be a holiday time, holiday time movie based on, but definitely not Christmas. <laughs> okay. Well, apparently, apparently it's like. It's a wintertime movie. <laughs> I didn't know that. I did not know that. I did not know that. But it came out in May. That's what's super weird. Right. Is that I think Marvel now says that it's a Christmas movie, but it literally re- was released like what's the is that seven months before Christmas? <laughs> it's many <laughs> months. They they does the release date matter? I think it's more about like the elements, but still it's uh, whatever. I didn't mean to like steal your thunder mark, but I did not know that until <laughs> I was literally reading this article on <laughs> on the research. And I was like, what? But it does is not a thing. Iron Man does blow people up with uh, little homemade with ornaments, jingle, Ooh. yeah, jingle, yeah. That that's a that's a point that it could that's Christmas set if you're using an actual holiday ornament when he was infiltrating the Miami facility. Remember that he threw them. They were like explosive things. Yeah. Wow, and Lucy. This this is the one that needs to go further than Die Hard. Like There's Die Hard, you can make tree. you can make a legitimate understanding. He says ho ho ho, shoehorning Christmas exchanged. into this. <laughs> But after but, he saves Gwen, Gwyneth Paltrow, he's literally like, it's Christmas. That doesn't count. That is stupid. <laughs> that is stupid. Lethal Weapon has Christmas elements. Like okay. legitimately Christmas elements so, are in Lethal Weapon. And I know that's Shane Blank. is more of a Christmas movie than Iron Man 3, in your opinion. <laughs> yeah. We all agree Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's, yes. That, yes, that's really the point. 100%. And also, I put Lethal Weapon more in the non action Shane Black because although Lethal Weapon has action in it, it's much more about like crazy rigs and Raj than it is about like this one with like huge, huge explosions and all of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I think Lucy's kind of changing my mind though because she mentioned <laughs> ornaments. They say Christmas and it snows and there's holiday decorations at the bar. So the White House has their Christmas tree out. There's, you know, he buys Pepper that giant dog. Maybe I'm wrong. But Bunny. This just seems so weird. That's right. That's right. This seems so weird. <laughs> All right. Well, if if y'all want more weirdness, then if we're talking about Lethal Weapon and Die Hard as Christmas movies, Lethal Weapon released in March and Die Hard released in July. So yes, you can have a Christmas movie released out of season. I just don't know that Iron Man 3 counts as much of a Christmas time movie, but I will give Brian props for saying that, meeting us in the middle and just saying it's a a winter-based movie. Yeah, it's (laughs) holiday-ish. 
it's it's a movie with Christmas decorations. <laughs> okay. That's Let's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's I'm great. out. That's I, I will that's never great. top that moment right there for this rest of the podcast. That's with it. Christmas that's decorations that do apparently blow up. And so uh, <laughs> last last looks before we move on to behind the scenes about a, any character, any any part of the movie that you felt strongly about one way or another. Brian, start with you. Anything else that you needed to get off your chest here? Um, I just think that even though you could argue what this movie accomplishes from beginning to end isn't that much. It's all about Tony's character building towards Civil War without acknowledging there was no other movie that acknowledged the aftermath of New York. Like you, it would feel so inauthentic for the next movie to be just another blockbuster where no one feels any of the ramifications of what happened in New York and the Chitari attack. So from that respect, when you look at the entire scope of the MCU, this was actually pretty crucial. And like we talked about, it kind of set up his mind of where he's at from a character standpoint into Civil War. So, you know, on the surface, you may not think it's that important, but that that is pretty crucial to the arc of Tony's character. It's a great point, Jacqueline. That's a tough act to follow. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just going to cop out and say I really love that they gave us a new heart styled sort of, you know, a Dallas when um, they open the open the curtain at the end with the post credit scene for this one where Bruce is like falling asleep as Tony tells the story. Yep. So you with me? It was. Yeah. We're, we were at. Uh, you actively napping. I, I was I, I, I drifted. Where did I lose you? elevator in switzerland so you heard none of it that's like probably the first of what i would call the marvel cop out cut scenes because at this point they'd already trained us to sit down and avengers we got shmarma which is like shawarma which is like not really what we're expecting at that point by the time we get to iron man 3 they're like you're just lucky we're putting something at the end of this we're not necessarily going to give you any new characters. Don't be thinking that, you know, Sam Jackson's going to come out talking about the Avengers initiative. Yeah. Y'all just be happy that we're here. Here's so I actually appreciate that moment. Um, and just the bored look on Mark Ruffalo's face, which to me is why Mark Ruffalo is kind of a perfect Hulk. Like he can do he can do both. If you feel that me. is so funny. So Iron Man 3's post credit scene walked. So yeah. that Spider-Man Homecoming's post-credit scene with Captain America could run. Yes, that exactly. is the perfect way to end movie talk and post-credit scene talk. And now we'll move on to behind the scenes. This movie, fun fact, is with the Avengers flicks and Black Panther as the MCU films that have done over a billion dollars of business at the worldwide box office. And so Iron Man by this time was obviously an established beloved property. The fact that this movie made as much money as it did, I don't think really pretends to the quality of it in reference to Iron Man 2 or 1, just because by that point we were all Iron Man crazy and we felt like Iron Man was the closest connective tissue and gave us the best opportunity to see more MCU characters popping in, which as Jacqueline said, we got in the post credit scene, we got to hang out with Rhodey for this movie a little bit. Um, what's funny is that Anthony Mackie auditioned for both Iron Man and Iron Man 3 and sort of caught the eye of the Russo brothers and who were making, who were working on uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier at the time, I guess. Mm. And so that's sort of his intro into 
the MCU. And, and I guess my, my question for you all is when you think of the MCU and you think of how, all the money that it's made, it's weird that Iron Man 3 is in the billion dollar club because it's not a movie that I associate with being like one of the tent poles of the MCU. You know, I think that you also have to place it in time where we do we did start seeing superhero movies. But even though Iron Man 3 wasn't the biggest contributor to, you know, changing things up the, at this point, the momentum for MCU is pretty damn high. I mean, there aren't that many superhero movies even in theaters, right? People are getting comfortable with the idea of superhero movies now being kind of like the flagship events to go to. And it's the third one. And we know how, especially with the Iron Man brand and the MCU kind of really everyone's going, oh, now this is the point where I'm telling some of my non-comic book friends, it's time to start paying attention to this stuff, right? That's, I think, why we see those huge numbers. I think it did explosive numbers in China as well. So they serve that audience as well. Um, so that's where it kind of falls in its place in history and the timing of how movies were in general. So I understand that number. Yeah. Yeah. That number for me actually has more to do with the marketing that I talked about. It really did feel like, I think it was right around this time is when like they signed up Robert Downey Jr. to do like the other stuff that he ended up doing. But I remember leading up to it, a lot of people thought that this may be the last time we see him as Iron Man. Do y'all remember that moment when it was like, mm -hmm. oh, point. we don't know if we can tie up these characters for this long. Um, he was only signed up to do the Avengers movie and Robert Downey Jr. is now Robert Downey Jr. now. And I remember when they made the, the, the it was shortly after this, they made the Sony deal and got um, Peter Parker in. They signed up, uh, the the five like Pratt, um, Scarlett Johansson, like the the original Avengers, they signed them up to to continue through to the rest of Phase Four. But I think that was part of it. I think part of it was people thinking this might be your last hurrah to mm. see Robert Downey Jr. do this character because I I do think that you know that that's the way it was kind of set up. It didn't turn out that way, but that's the way it was at least set up. Yeah, and there is a uh, it, it's funny the 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 free falling scene, the skydiving scene is mm. so cool and it is so well done and apparently one of the reasons it was so well done is because the red bull skydiving team like the team that does like all those free for alls and like the <laughs> highest free for all like they're they're probably in outer space when they do these dives sometimes mm. they were enlisted for the free for all scene and so when you put that amount of care into it and yeah th there's a ton of cgi in this movie but i don't know brian for me i love when i hear stories like that behind the scenes where it's like no they actually really cared about making this movie Mm -hmm. I mean, that that we didn't even talk about it, but it is actually one of the most memorable scenes of the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. He, he also is controlling the suit remotely. We find that out. So in the moment, we think that, oh, man, he's going to do this. He's there. And then it's like, voila, I did this from a completely different location. I love that scene. And that that's a cool nugget. Yeah. He's got the drone technology. And I, I think that during act three, which is when that free uh, fall scene happens, Jacqueline, we're all just st still reeling from what we just saw with the Mandarin twist and we're trying to piece everything back together. And so maybe in a way that movie ironically kind of subterfuged its great scene by giving us so much to chew on during it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> this this movie is a lot of layers and I'm not going to say that all of them work on top of each other, but each individual one when you separate them is you can definitely tell what they were trying to do. That's the other reason why I say that the reason why it maybe feels jumbled and the reason why it feels a bit of a mess is this was a movie that was tried that was tried to be made in the editing room and the story that they were making just didn't gel. 
Yeah. Because it just it, very much feels like at some point it just went, er, and I wonder mm. if it's because of what it was setting up. Like maybe it was originally set up to be like, Tony's going to die. And then they're like, no, he's not, you know? Is this the movie that y'all would point to and say that this is why, because Shane Black is his own director. He's been very successful before Iron Man 3. Like he didn't need to do Iron Man 3. He wasn't just plucked out of obscurity to direct this movie. So is this a movie in the MCU that y'all would point to and say, well, yeah, that's because like, is it like an Edgar Wright maybe doing Ant-Man situation where you get into this movie and then you realize, oh, I don't really have all the creative control I thought I would have. I mean, yes. that's a great point, specifically talking about how it does feel like two different pieces. And, you know, we've seen the reluctance of even, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is it Scott Erickson, the Doctor Strange director uh, for the first movie? Mm-hmm. Derrickson, yeah. sorry, Scott Derrickson. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he did Doctor Strange 1, and it, he was on board to do Doctor Strange 2. And then kind of during that development process where it was, he was already committed to Doctor Strange 2, Hugh pulled out, right? Sam Raimi comes in. And so the power of either play nice with us and have fun and be able to accept that we're going to take away some of your creative liberties. Um, those two actors specifically, Edgar Wright and Scott Derrickson, they, they were, and then maybe, maybe they saw it with Shane Black, sh- kind of showed us behind the scenes what's happening, whether you want to play ball or not. Yeah. Also, there's also a, a, a pantheon of directors who didn't. I mean, Ava was the original director of Black Panther. Let's not forget. Um, she right. was the one that Marvel went after very heavily. And it's funny, when I did the set visit for Black Panther, Nate Moore, who's uh, been elevated into a higher level of executive producer, but I think his first movie may have been like Civil War or Winter Soldier. He talked about how when they were approaching some directors to like do some of these things after the Edgars and after what happened with the guy that directed Thor, The Dark World, uh, they were having a hard time because these directors talk. They they It's a very small sort of collegiate group. And they talked about how working for Marvel, because they were planning these movies 20 years in advance, you're not given what you want. And I think they kind of changed their formula a little bit for that. Like they, I think they gave less dictatorial information and more parameters like you have to include this you have to include that you have to include this play with what you will in between and I think Josh uh, Wheaton Josh Wheaton uh, talked about that too when he talked about uh, Age of Ultron which I have an article on Rotten Tomatoes that talks about how much he set up in that movie that got paid off later and if you think about now like how you have to write your way out of like probably 50 million different notes you maybe understand why some directors are like, nah, son, I'm going to go do my little indie movie. Think I'm out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's why I, I feel like Black Panther is actually the best example of the MCU allowing a director to serve their own vision, but also tie it into the larger context of the MCU. I thought Ryan Coogler would just walk that line so well because he, he's, all, he, he's an established person by then, too. Yeah. But he was able to work within the sandbox, but also express his vision. And I think that's probably why Black Panther is arguably the best or one of the most beloved MCU movies that we've ever gotten. So on that note, before we transition into mailbag, just quickly, Brian, Jacqueline, your top three MCU movies, if you have them offhand. I love putting people on the spot. Your top three MCU movies. I've actually thought about this for a long time, so I kind of know my top five. And it, Well, it you go first, bit. and I need to look at a list. <laughs> yeah, why don't, you, why don't you look up the list? Okay, I'm like the waiter that, that just like barnstormed the table, and I'm like, hey, y'all got to order right now. What what? Who's going first? I'm serious. Okay, Go I ahead, Brian. I'll, I'll, I'll let I'll let Jacqueline do her rec- her look up and be like, mm, okay, I, I guess so. I'm gonna s- maybe some people agree with me or not. Uh, I think Winter Soldier 
and Civil War have always kind of been one or two for me. But I typically, because I like a little more character dive and isolation on a character, I lean towards Winter Soldier as number one for me. I go Civil War as number two. Um, and then hmm, I'm going to put, man, you give me the top three. Because I, I, cause typically Infinity War, Black Panther, and then I give credit to Iron Man being the first that started are in that top five. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I'm going to say Black Panther number three. I'm going to go with okay. Black Panther number three. All right. What I, about I have to put an Avengers movie in there somewhere, so it's just a matter of if it's the first Avengers movie, if it's Endgame. Yeah. And I almost count Captain America's Civil War as an Avengers movie because that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. But I, I would probably put the first Avengers at number three and then my two favorite standalone movies uh, at the one and two spot, which would be number one would be Iron Man for me, and number two would be Black Panther. And then nice. I'll do three. I'll go the original Avengers to be different. Um, Jacqueline, did we give you enough time to decide what you'd like to order for lunch? F y'all, man. This is hard. Like, I feel like everybody studied for the assignment and I'm just I sitting here like, this. I'm sitting here like trying to like copy across the thing. Okay, so like legitimately, and this is not just me like repping my black girl pride, legitimately Black Panther was a cinematic experience for me and I cannot talk to you. Uh, the moment when Killmonger sits on the throne and that like camera rotates is one of my mm. favorite all-time shots in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I just, it says so much, like the world turned upside down, literally love that so much. So amazing, amazing. Black Panther's definitely at the top. And I have love for Thor in a way that people don't understand because Thor keys into like British, like, um, Regency television shows, which I've watched more of than comic book adaptations. If it had corsets and a British accent, I've seen it. So I really <laughs> like Thor. Um, but I would say that of that series, Thor Ragnarok is my favorite. So I have to pick mm. a Thor movie. And so I'm going to pick Ragnarok. And then for the third one, honestly, I guess it would be it would be Civil War. It would be Captain America Civil War. Um because it, the the kid, uh, the 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 airplane scene. I just I love that airplane scene so much, especially when he's like, "Where are you from, kid?" And he's just like, you know, Queens, <laughs> Brooklyn. Like I just, oh, I love that. That is like one of my all time favorite moments. But honorable mention to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's we could do this all. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to say it. We could do this all day. Yes, there you we, go. Sorry, guys. I could do this all day. What about Shang Chi? And like, huh? yeah, I'll also say like Shang Chi makes some strong cases to be in anybody's yeah. top five. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think That's- for me, Shang Chi, like you know, we're talking about repping for you know for our community, not being bashful about it. I mean, Shang Chi would probably be a top five movie for me. But if I remove myself from the fact that I just saw the first Asian superhero, I'd still put in my personal top ten, but yeah. not top five. Yeah. How great was many. it? For you, Brian, your your experience Monday night, really quick, without giving away anything in the new movie. How 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 much fun was it for you to be at that premiere? Well, you know, I mean, it quite honestly, like, thanks for indulging me. It it, it was historic for the Asian American community. Quite honestly, I I understand the feelings, and you know, I cried when I saw Black Panther, but I understood even more when I saw uh, Shang Chi, and and at least had those relatable feelings. It's important, and I, I think more of like the younger generation and even older generations who have felt left out that they can finally see someone on the platform of Marvel, of MCU, just have someone that looks like them. And I think everyone deserves that. And I think that Marvel, what's cool about this is that they at least had the foresight to do this. Like we had all the controversy around some, you know, like stop Asian hate. 
well, they were already developing this movie, so it wasn't like this comes out two or three years after Stop Asian Hate in a response to that movement. So I do appreciate that their thinking is like, let's involve these characters. And also, quite honestly, the movie was unlike anything we've seen because it's a martial arts action flick. Yeah. Yeah. So the action itself is freaking badass, even from that standpoint alone. So I just really, you know, enjoyed it. But as a comic book movie goer, let's take out every, you know, you know, how I felt personally. I still thought it was a great movie. It was awesome. Yeah, those yeah. fight scenes are are just ridiculous. <laughs> there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of humor in it. And mm-hmm. Aquafina might be my favorite performer on the planet right now. I, I cannot get enough of her. If you if you haven't seen Nora from Queens, it's you, you're missing it. She's I'll, so I'll tell you, fun. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. Sorry to step on you. I was surprised by Aquafina's performance because I was a little, quite honestly, a little worried um, what she might do in Shang-Chi and maybe take away from the movie. But uh, this movie is not nearly as funny without her. No. And she played it, I think, right. Like, she played Mm. this very much within the authenticity of herself and the character. You know what I mean? And I I think this one probably more closely resembles Nora, literally. Like, Nora in her element with her friends and and what she's doing and less the character of Aquafina. And I think that's refreshing to see. It's sort of the same way I feel when I see Tiffany Haddish just do something a little bit more straight. It it feels... Mm. It feels a little bit more there. It doesn't mean that they can't do the big, broad comedy stuff. Obviously, they can and they do. But it, yeah, it feels uh, feels a little bit, a little bit more lived in. Yeah, looking forward to uh, all of our listeners and viewers' thoughts on Shang Chi and how they feel like it fits into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and particularly how it relates to the movie we just talked about, <laughs> Iron Man Three, and that sort of sets us up for our next segment, which is mailbag. You can email us anytime with your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, what you want us to talk about. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. This is from esteemed member of the Ketchup Crew, Jackson Boren. And he says, hello there, Lucy. And I assume he's probably saying hi to us too, Jacqueline. Big fan of the show writing back to bring up a title I have been hearing get a lot of reappraisal on Twitter over the past year since its 25th anniversary in 2020. That's right. It's Waterworld. I've been a fan of this movie for years, defending it from those who claim it's just a Mad Max ripoff. The action and design of this film is so much better than critics originally gave it credit for, many choosing to focus on the budget issues the film faced. The set pieces were understandably difficult to shoot on water, but still paid off and gave the film a tactile environment that is lost in today's uncanny valley. Dennis Hopper was the standout as the scenery-chewing villain, and James Newton Howard's score was phenomenal. At 48%, Waterworld is way too low for the epic ride it takes viewers on. Please consider covering it on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Thank you, Jackson. I need to go revisit Waterworld again. I like what he said about the practical sort of effects. And yeah, it was it must have been a pain. And that's why it went so over budget to shoot on actual water. But it's nice to see some practical effects, right? Yeah. Also, Waterworld made money. I always like want to correct the record. Actually, I'm down for this one because I have love in my heart for Waterworld and Kevin Costner's gills. Giddy up. I like that movie as well. Uh, I feel we're not far from it. (laughs) (laughs) The apocalypse is nigh, so you could look at it as instructional as well as entertaining. You go see that Hugh Jackman movie, Reminiscence, you get some underwater stuff. Brian, do you have love in your heart for Waterworld? Um, I have love in my heart for the live action show at Universal Studios. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So that I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I got I got Waterworld love. 
I just, I love that Jacqueline is that person who's just going to like literally weasel her way into a conversation about Waterworld so she can say that the movie did in fact made money. It Thank made you money. Like I just like, it's always like, on profitable? this like, Not profitable though, yeah, right? it, was it was a profitable prof- movie. Oh, it it made oh. money. It just cost a shit ton and it yeah, should have yeah. made more. But Waterworld did not lose the studio. John Carter lost the studio money. Oh, wow. Now she's throwing John Carter at us. All right. Well, another movie that, that means needs to be reevaluated because I love it's that movie. time to wrap up the show. Thank you, by the way, for the email, Jackson. We probably will do Waterworld at some point because I'm into that, Lucy. Let's put that on the docket. Uh, in the meantime, the movie that definitely did make money is Iron Man 3, over a billion dollars worth. And I had a blast talking with Jacqueline and Brian about it. Brian Tong, thank you so much for for coming back to the show. Thanks for saying hey, and, and it was great hanging out with you at the movie earlier this week. Let's do that again. Uh, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? I know everybody can go check out your YouTube channel. What else you got going on? Yeah, some stuff cooking. I got a bunch of Shang-Chi coverage coming up. Um you know, just kind of the review of the film, but also working on a uh, behind the scenes with some of the visual concept design team. So, you know, check out youtube.com slash Brian Tom if you want to see what's coming up with uh, all that good stuff. What the movie comes out September 3rd. So uh, it'll be ready for then. Love it. Absolutely love it. And do you have a recommendation for us today? Like something that is currently streaming or that we can go check out that you think the people need to see? Well, you know, you talk about Christmas themed shows I've got to I've got to lean heavy into Ted Lasso. Okay. Ted Lasso su- has surprised me. I put it off for six months. I was like, I don't need to watch this show. I need to watch this show. And there there's an episode that has to do with Christmas that is in August. So everyone, <laughs> check out Ted Lasso if you can. If not, what it's like five or ten bucks just for a month to just binge through it all on Apple TV Plus. That show has lifted us up, and I feel like it's the right type of show for the right type of time right now, so that that works well with it as well. Yeah, I love Ted Lasso, and a friend of mine, Molly's uh, Molly the Wonder Dog's mom, as a matter of fact, Ted Lasso sent her a bunch of those like biscuits that they have, which which oh. we call cookies, and she gave them to me, and oh my god, they're 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 just unbelievable. I sh- <laughs> if if we did this in studio, Jack, and I would have brought enough for the rest of the class, but we don't, so I get to just them all thank you all so much for listening to us you can email us like i said anytime rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com wherever you're listening and enjoying to the podcast subscribe rate review whatever that app likes you to do please do it and tell your friends about it because we talk about cool movies like iron man 3 and maybe someday on some distant planet water world in the meantime for our great guest brian tong my esteemed co-host jacqueline coley brian perez behind the scenes producer lucy and her entire family who may or may not have been the reason she didn't get to see shang chi with the rest of us earlier this week my name is simply mark ellis thanks for listening to rotten tomatoes is wrong and we'll catch you next week